you know, in the Marine Corps, we got Marine on one side, U.S. Marines on the other, uh, on one, and then our name on the other. You guys carry your name on your chest. That's that's one of the things those people see when they when you walk through the door, is that name, the company name, and the and your personal name. So you're representing every time you put that uniform on, whether you're a Marine or you're a plumber, you're representing your company and your yourself. And so why not? If you if you're not going to do it for the company. Why not just do it for yourself? Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, are hanging out with you, and we are looking forward to getting into part two, our first two-parter, Brian, our part two of Lieutenant Colonel John Ballinger talking about his experience as a Marine One pilot. Uh, we hope you really enjoyed last show. We're going to pick it up here with a little bit of an intro and then get you right into the rest of that interview. First, we're going to turn to Brian for our quote. Every man's life ends the same way. It is only the details of how he lived and how he died that distinguish one man from another. Again... Ernest Hemingway. Okay. I, I was thinking maybe you were pulling a quote out of uh, Scott Ridley's uh, Gladiator there. No. Oh, oh, that would have been a good one. <laughs> My <laughs> name is do Maximus Echoes in the Halls of Eternity, uh, something like that. Yeah. All right. I like it. Uh, stick with the Ernest Hemingway theme. We should we should just do a long series of uh, Marcus Aurelius quotes. <laughs> yeah. Because so, I quote unquote read uh, Meditations over eh, about two months ago, over a couple weeks. Just the audiobook is free if you have an Audible account. So I had read pieces of it over the years, but never actually did the whole book. But went through the whole book. It's okay. pretty cool. Yeah, check it out. Okay. It's weird to just hear it, you know, spoken by some dude with a slight British accent. You're just like, yeah, Marcus didn't sound like that. Well, how do you know? Well, because he, he wasn't, you know he wasn't British, right? I mean, it was Roman, but Rome <laughs> conquered Britain, so... That's true. You know? Who knows? Might have picked up a couple uh, accents here and there. <laughs> yeah, so what a, yeah, so Ernest Hemingway. Anyway, <laughs> every man's life ends the same way, I guess, with the closing of the eyes. I believe so, and the uh, sign of the last breath. Yeah, the stopping of the heartbeat. Yeah, so as we, uh, you know, wrapped up an awesome part one with John Ballinger and get ready to uh, bring in usher in part two. Um, a heck of a life he's lived already. And he seems like he's got a whole lot to go. And I definitely want to, you know, get more into what he's, what he's uh, planning on doing in the future. Yeah. Because he is at uh, one of those changing points as we all come to one, if not more times in our lives of transition uh, seasons, if you will. And he is moving from a 20-year distinguished career in the Marine Corps into uh, the private world, the civilian life. Yeah, good stuff. As they say. 
But I did, I did want to touch on, and you know, this episode isn't about this. And, you know, I, I want to touch on another quote that I used in a morning meeting of ours here recently. Um, we rolled out a new seven foot tall poster that we got of a, a technician dressed in the uniform that our technicians wear. And outside the body and the head of the tech, they're, you know, like bullet points, like hair is groomed and clean, teeth are brushed, uh, shirt is clean and pressed, you know, pants are ironed and, you know, whatever. Boots are black, belts black, socks are black, t-shirts white, that kind of thing. And I started the meeting with the quote that I wanted to mention in here, which was Zig Ziglar's quote, you cannot climb the ladder to success in the costume of failure. And I want to talk about that because, you know, John's a Marine. I mean, you know, we met him, first time we met him in here, dressed to impress. You know how the Marines do it. They don't play around. You're not coming in there with a ring. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine showing up with a wrinkled shirt? <laughs> you would it's do not, push-ups till the wrinkles came out. Not a small guy either. Uh, he's six four, at least. Yeah, he's a big dude, six five maybe. Yeah. Um, but I, I love that fact that you are presentable in in the Marine Corps, like to go get chow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just to see each other. Much less when you're presented, like us heading out of the shop in the morning to go see homeowners, to go see the people paying for us to have a career. And so many of us are willing to do that without brushing our teeth in the morning, without a shower, without shaving, without getting our hair cut, in a wrinkled up shirt with stains all over it. Or just, you know, with a blue, brown, black t-shirt on underneath it when the dress code calls for a white t-shirt because you're wearing a white shirt if you're in uh, one of the uh, more presentable companies that wear white shirts. Thank you very much. Right. Brian, which comes first, discipline on the inside or discipline on the outside? Is this a trick question? Do you know the answer already? No. I don't think it matters. You think it can come from either direction? It has to come from one or the other. Well, yes. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it has to start somewhere and then end up the other place. But for, I wasn't disciplined when I got to the first company I worked at that made me wear a uniform. I say made me. I should say let me wear a uniform because despite being one of those plumbers who kind of made fun of those guys who were dressed in those white button-up shirts, when I actually got my own to put on, I was, I was proud of it. I do remember coming home with it and... um you know, Billy gave me the, you know, and I'm like, yeah, pretty, pretty spiffy in one of these uniforms. And then you woke up. I was, uh, <laughs> I was a fan of, of, you know, having my Jersey with my name on it, as I called it well, the, the whole time I was in a truck. Um, but it's a, it's a clean, crisp look. And at that time I was walking into the shop with my boots untied and not shaved and, you know, maybe my shirt not even buttoned up yet. Just walking in and crashing in the meeting. Like, oh, I'll do it before I get to the first call. And my manager at the time would be like, nah, man, <laughs> you're doing it now. Before we start the meeting. And we're... And that was discipline from the outside, working its way in. Well, by the time I got here several years later, I was, 
you know, they had a, uh, I'm sure you remember when I was at a tech, there was a competition in the training room here. We didn't know it was coming. We all just walked in and sat down and they had a, a bunch of office staff. That's right. As judges. And they made all the tech stand up and they did a contest, just a surprise contest to see who was the best uh, example of a uniform tech. And uh, yeah, shout out to, what was that, Larry? That Larry? I believe Matt put that together. Matt, shout yeah, out to Matt. Matt Walter. That's a... Yeah. It's a way to start a Wednesday morning meeting. Shout right out there. my man, Matt. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so the, that's how the meeting went, and I won the BF, the, the uh, plumbing department, and Steve Allwine won the HVAC department prize for uh, best uniform tech. There was no question whether I would win it because I showed up every day like I was showing up at the first client's house and I knew that client was very wealthy and really needed water treatment and a tankless water here and everything else we had to offer. That's how I programmed myself to show up at the calls. Why? Because I was super disciplined? No, because my old boss was super disciplined and he made me super disciplined. So that was from the outside in. I know plenty of techs here and, and even there at the time who just they were military like in their in their insistence upon themselves being um squared away so they they you know they didn't leave their bathroom without everything buttoned down and there are people like that here so that was you know an internal um discipline but yeah i didn't have that so i never i wasn't a military guy or anything like that i i was just i was wearing a t-shirt and jeans and whatever beat up boots I had lying around as a plumber until I got to that company. Yeah, Brian, the, uh, the, what you're talking about there is, is the mindset that we're looking to create that if you are out there listening, imagine that your boss posted a competition like that tomorrow, how would you post up? Would you even make the top 10? No, I probably, they probably wouldn't. <laughs> Whoever's listening, you probably wouldn't. <laughs> Tighten Br up. <laughs> Brian laying down the challenge. Let's <laughs> <laughs> Tighten up, people. Come on. But look, so most most clients don't care, right? Maybe some clients, maybe most clients don't care whether your gig line's straight, whether you have like shaggy facial hair, whether you took a shower this morning or not. Now, I know you think they don't know, but trust me, we know. <laughs> trust me, we know. We know whether you brush your teeth. Whether people will say it to you or not is, is another thing. They won't. They absolutely won't. You you just walk around like the emperor's new clothes. Go ahead and check out check out what that means. <laughs> like everybody's fooled and thinks you brushed your teeth and took a shower this morning. They they know better. You're you're not fooling anyone. But most people may not care or may not say anything or yeah, honestly may not care. But I, th I think the last time I read a survey about facial hair, it's one out of, or I'm sorry, it's 5%, used to be 30%, but 5% of Americans immediately distrust someone with facial hair. Now, that's not a lot, but that's one out of 20 of your clients. Yeah, and that lines up right next to the 95% uh, of Americans distrust uh, a Sasquatch look. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> gross. That's so... And I'm not saying everyone needs to be clean shaven. I don't know how, you know, what most companies, you know, protocol is on that. But I am saying, and I know I'll get a bunch of crap from people 
uh, about about saying cut your facial hair off. I don't care. In fact, give me all the crap you want. Send it to Nate Minnick's um, <laughs> Facebook Messenger, please. And please do. I want to hear all of it uh, with pictures of your facial hair. Okay, time out. <laughs> but if one out of 20 of your clients are immediately put off, and also I'm, you're probably all great communicators, I'm sure you can work through that. But why put the speed bump up in front of yourself? Like you've got enough mountains to climb. It's hard enough. To get this job from, you know, if you're listening to this, you're probably at a high level company providing high level service, charging high dollars, you know, bum, bum uh, service techs that don't care about their clients and, and charge 70 bucks an hour. They don't listen to this type of show. They're listening to music. So if you're with that type of company and you already have this mountain to climb, why throw one more hill in front of yourself? If you're not going to be clean shaven, keep it neat and trimmed. Keep that shirt ironed and clean. Every client deserves a, a very presentable version of you, even if it's your fifth call of the day. You got to make that happen for them. They, they do deserve it, right? If they're paying your bills, and they are, they deserve at least that. So, you know, seeing John and anytime I think about the military and how they get down and how, you know, just squared away they are, it always makes me feel like I'm not doing enough just in, just in that realm, you know, and, and, you know, there's so many other ways we can go into that, but just in, for us to be more image conscious is a big deal, I think. Absolutely, Brian. And uh, Lieutenant Colonel John Ballinger is 100% image conscious and far more. We're going to re-invite him to join into your passenger seat right now. Our guest today, we are continuing with part two, is Lieutenant Colonel John Ballinger. I read his intro in the last episode, but to summarize it, he is currently transitioning out of being a Marine One uh, helicopter pilot for the presidential office, which means that he has actually served under two presidents, uh, President Trump as well as President Biden. Uh, he's most recently retired unofficially and will retire officially at the uh, towards the end of this year and is transitioning out of what he's currently doing into the civilian sector through a program called SkillBridge. We'll make sure to ask him more about that. Uh, but for now, we're going to rejoin the interview here and let you hear the rest of Lieutenant Colonel John Ballinger's story. So if you're willing to talk about it, let's let's talk about a bad day, because everybody in the home services industry has experienced a bad day. Well, I mean, from a personal perspective, I, a bad day is losing an engine in flight. Right. Um, you know, it's uh, when you're flying, you know, your engines are providing uh, torque and then helping the main rotor spin and keeping you in the air. You know, you lose one of them, you know, you've got one more, but you lose some significant capabilities and, you know, that's happened twice and I've had, you know, smaller issues in flight, but, you know, recognizing first that something's going on that's different and just taking a second to just breathe, right? Taking a second to just take it in take a deep breath, realizing where you're at, realizing this is not how things are supposed to go, but not just blindly reacting because something's happening. You really got to put forth that mental effort to pause, evaluate, and then respond. 
So that right there, I mean, that, that concept, even those, those three words, Paul's evaluate, respond, is that like trained into you? Is that, is that natural? It, it's not, it's definitely not natural because we get into the simulator all the time and, and scenarios and emergencies are thrown at us at rapid rate. And the first thing you want to do is you want to start responding. So how, um, how do you begin to counteract what is the natural reaction and, and actually insert that pause? Because that's, di- that's a difficult piece. Yeah. Right? And that's, that's where the training comes in. That's where getting in the simulator every day or, you know, every opportunity and actually going through these scenarios and knowing yourself and you said you would do that uh, dunker course for yeah. every four years, which yeah. sounds like probably the most intense flight simulation. It's um, it's not fun. I mean, you're sitting in a in a the dunker, right? This can, and you're there's two pilot seats, pilot co-pilot seats up front, and then the back is lined with some chairs as well, and they put you in there and slowly dunks underwater, and then it flips upside down and you're upside down strapped into this thing and you've got to find your way out. But that's the end result. The first day it's, Hey, let's get in the water. Let's, you know, crawl, walk, run. Let's, or, or let's get in the water. Let's get used to the water. Let's sit on the side of the, of the pool with your feet up on the side and let's dunk you upside down and let you feel just that water rushing into your nasal, you know, your nasal cavities and then we'll bring you back right back up but uh those those are some good train those are the best training that you receive are there any youtube videos of you in the dunker no no i had those deleted (laughs) i contacted youtube directly (laughs) he knows especially before before this podcast make sure those are excuse me president that was an executive order (laughs) the ones where i was crying upside down (laughs) when you cry upside down tears actually go (laughs) You know, back into your nose, and you could drown from this. Oh, wow, I did not know that. I, out of all the ways that I thought I could die, that hadn't crossed my mind yet. I was going to try to give Nate a swirly after this and see what happened, but I'm glad you cleared that up for us. <laughs> oh, John, good stuff. Hey, another thing that the uh, the military as a whole, and certainly the Marine Corps, take pride in is the uniform. Oh, yeah. Right? So... Um, Ooh, I least, see where you're going with this. At least Nate. from like when fist bump, buddy. <laughs> Marine Corps has the best uniforms. By okay, the way. okay. <laughs> from the uh, from like the news footage and stuff like that of when I've seen uh, Marine One, uh, the pilots appear to be in dress uniform. That's correct. Is that is that always the case, or always flying in dress uniform? Whenever we fly with the president, yeah, it's not a hundred percent of the time because we will take uh, a president to. Um, maybe a site where there was a hurricane or, uh, you know, a site that, that are less than favorable conditions. Sure. And we will sometimes be in flight suits for that. Um, but most likely we're in dress uniform. Correct. Okay. And that's, uh, your, you call it your blue and whites, uh, dress blues, dress blues. Okay. Yep. It's a dress blue, uh, Charlie's and deltas. The Charlie's are the long sleeve shirts with the tie blue pants with the red stripe and the, and the deltas are just same outfit, but a short sleeve shirt for okay. summertime. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we, you know, the pilot, co-pilot, and the crew chief are all in our dress uniforms. The crew chief, I mean, that Marine is the most visible person in the squadron. He's the one that comes down, opens the doors to both aircraft, and then stands there and salutes while the president comes in and out. And that Marine has some incredible pressure on him, not only just to do his job, but to look professional 100% of the time. And they do a phenomenal job at it. 
and, and not to mention that they also are the ones that are overseeing the conduct of that aircraft and keeping it clean and keeping it working and keeping it in the best condition that it can be to support the president and vice president. So there's a tremendous amount of pressure on that 20 year old. Yeah. So let, let's go there because we have, we have 20 year olds working for us in all the trades and, um, well, let's just say it's not always up to Marine Corps standards. So how, how do you know, how, how do you, how does the military, how does the Marine Corps get that driven home that this is important and why is it important? I mean, what does it matter if, you know, the shirt's a little untucked or the, the third button's undone? Why does that matter? Well, you know, we always talk about attention to detail, right? If you are faithful and you are consistent in the small things, it will transpire to the bigger things. It can be everything from keeping your shoes polished and your uniform in tip-top shape. It shows that if you pay attention to those small details, that you're probably paying attention to the bigger things that come after that. One of my flight instructors used to say, if you can hover an aircraft and do it successfully and do it very well and better than everyone else, then you'll be good at picking up an external load. So and it, when we pick up an external load, we hover over the over the load or the item or the Humvee or whatever it is, and we've got a long pennant that hangs down, and there's Marines underneath our helicopter hooking that to the load. And, and then when they give us the signal, we're coming back up and we're picking that and taking it to wherever it needs to go. But if you can hover and do that very successfully without anything under you, then you're going to be very good at doing that when the pressure's on, when, when you're over Marines and they're counting on you to not land on them or to damage the aircraft or, or damage the equipment. He also said if you can fly formation off another helicopter and do that very well and look at your checkpoints and keep yourself in the perfect place, then when we have to, in our aircraft, go fly behind a C-130 and get fuel, you're going to be able to do that very well. I mean, I, I killed this in the like the Top Gun Nintendo <laughs> video game yeah. in, in like the Microsoft, uh, early 90s. Uh, but I'm like getting anxiety watching <laughs> watching John do the hand gestures of this of this helicopter come up behind the C-130. And I'm like really thinking about the fact that you've done this at, I don't know what altitude. Yeah. But like one tink. Couple, couple it, thousand feet. Yeah. Is it, the difference between you being up there and you being down here in a hurry. Yeah. Um, it, it is, it's just absolutely true that if you can be consistently good at the smaller things that it will transpire to the bigger things and, and Marines do that very well. Cause we take pride in our uniforms. If you notice, you don't see any Marines walking around usually out in town in their flight suits or their camis or really their uniform, unless it's a Marine Corps ball or you know, some big event that's going on in the city, but you don't see us out there because the Marine Corps, I think, recognizes that we could easily tarnish that image. So they keep very strict tabs on on when we wear our uniforms. And that just goes to show that, or, or goes to tell, them, tell us Marines, people are always watching. People are always evaluating. doesn't matter if you're coming on duty, off duty, you're going to pick up your laundry or filling up your car. People are looking, people are watching and they are making, you know, 
they're, they're, they've got judgment based on what you're doing. They're evaluating what you're doing, you know, and, and so we take it very personally. Um, and we take pride in our uniform. We take pride in our heritage and, and that's a Marine Corps thing. Um, but, but I think that plays into being a dad, you know, I've got two boys and I remind myself just like I do when I'm a Marine, my boys are always watching me. They're always listening to the things that I am saying. They're always watching how I'm treating my wife or how I'm talking on the phone or how I'm treating the service member that, you know, the, the person that's coming over to my house to service my HVAC. They're watching those things and they're developing pattern uh, habit patterns based on those things. So it's, you know, to, to not get, you know, too far out of the box, but you know, it's a big, um, you know, it's, it's a big, uh, statement that people are always watching what you're doing and they're, they're judging you based on your actions or your inactions. It's a matter of discipline, right? I mean, that's really what we're talking about. And and in terms of discipline, I want to ask you, so every time that we see, you know, the movie or the news footage or whatever, we see we see the Marine Corps or the military in discipline formation, you know, yeah. whether it's how they're standing or how they're marching or how they're conducting themselves and all these things seem very disciplined. Does that carry through to your personal life or are you kind of like, you know, you're disciplined over here when you're flying Marine Corps, but when you're at home, you're kind of like, eh, whatever, you know, I don't really care. Or are you like, I'm on time every time, all the time, you know, the whole way through? Yeah, it, it, it definitely does develop, you know, habit patterns you know jokingly i said earlier you know my dad said hey look you're not going to join the marine corps you can't even shave and you can't wear the proper uniform you know uniform for your school and you can't abide by these rules but you join the marine corps and immediately things change because you immediately you know that there are bigger ramifications for your actions and not necessarily just for you but for the person sitting left and right of you um, you know, a, a story that my buddy told at my retirement last week, you know, he said there was a, there was during officer candidate school, I got called out of the squad bay and, and I left my rifle unlocked and, uh, that's like a big no, no, right. For, right. for us to do. And I left it and I ran outside to do something. And when I came back in my whole squad bay is sitting there doing pushups <laughs> and I stood there and I had to watch them. Uh. And I was getting some nasty looks and some viral, uh, you know, hate came out after, after the fact. Here comes the soap bar and socks treatment, you know, in my full metal jacket, (laughs) one of my good friends, um, he was, you know, in the leadership role for that day. And that night they said, okay, Ballinger, B-A-L-L-E-N-G-E-R. Okay. There's nine letters in your name. All right. You the guy that was in charge of the squad for that day had to write an essay, 300 words, every word less than nine letters didn't count. So, oh, oh my, my goodness. <laughs> Brian wouldn't even be able to accomplish that. <laughs> oh, I don't even know any words over nine letters. So, I mean, he's, he's now spending his night where he could be resting in those few precious hours. He's now doing an essay because of my, you know, because of my action or my inaction, right? And so that teaches you at an early age, early point in your career, in your military career, that you are are affecting people positively or negative, negatively based on your discipline. 
you know, I was sweating it driving over here after lunch because I thought I was going to be five minutes early. You know, we always say, if you're 10 minutes early, you're early. If you're five minutes early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. Right. Right. And so I was sweating and luckily I showed up. Nobody looked at their watch, but I did. I was four minutes here before two o'clock. And that affects me. And we were like, oh my gosh, this guy's like crazy early. It's <laughs> like three hours early. <laughs> 14 years ago, I married my wife and she, I would say, hey, you know, it's time to go to church. She'd I'd be, all right, well, I got 10 minutes. And no, it's like, no, that's 10 minutes before church starts. Oh. And she'd be like, no, that's 10 minutes before we got to leave. I still Did gotta- you ever get that fixed and how? <laughs> no, so, so she is now like, man, I, she is reformed. She now knows that everything has, you know, it's cost. Every action has a, a time associated with it. So if we want to walk out the door to be on time, we got to leave 10 minutes early. And, and so it's cool to see her not have to go through the military, but also now respect our time as a family, respect other people's time that we are now showing up on time or, or just early. You know, and think about it too. When you go through the airport, how much more fun is it to stand in the TSA line waiting to go through that when you've got two hours before your flight, man, you, you, you don't have a care in the world. Right. And people are behind you, like tapping you and and asking if they can go ahead and they're sweating and huffing and puffing. And you're just like, man, my, my planning results in a better environment for me. For everyone. And my family. And, and for, yeah, those around You can me. actually let that family with all the toddlers exactly. go who's panicking because they, they couldn't help but, yeah. you know, possibly be late depending on what they had to deal with. But that just goes, you know, to, to planning and, 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 and just diligence and, and uh, respect for other people's time. That story that you told about your rifle and the impact that it had on you when you walked in there and saw other people suffering because of a decision that you had perhaps unintentionally made, but still a decision uh, and still a consequence. <clears throat> did that happen? Like, did that resonate so much in your training that you never made that mistake again, you know, when you were in active duty or was there a time later on when, because in, in our world we have, you know, we have callbacks, we have uh, warranties and stuff like that where somebody before you went out and did a job and, you know, a lot of times unintentionally, it wasn't done properly. Um, maybe they were in a hurry. Maybe they missed something. Maybe they just weren't as as uh, skilled on that piece of equipment as they should have been. And so somebody has to go back out. and They have to fix what should have been done right the first time. You know, so in, in your career, you know, can you hearken kind of back to a time when you either were on the receiving end of following up on somebody else's mistake or somebody had to follow up on something that you did incorrectly or, you know, you're following with me there. And like, how do you, how do you process through not doing that again? How do you process through making it right with that fellow crew member? Yeah. You know, really it's, um, knowing that everybody's fallible, right? Everybody's going to make a mistake, whether it's the guy that comes before you or the guy that comes after you. And, and uh, I've definitely, after that, ex, you know, example, I definitely continued making mistakes. Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, we have, we have a saying in Marine Corps, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, but if you're not, you know, if you're not failing, you're not, you're not going outside your comfort zone, right? right? You're not going outside your box. Um, and so a lot of us, we continually 
make make mistakes, but it's being humble, recognizing that you've made a mistake, and and also the if you're the guy that comes behind, it's just knowing that hey, this person might not have done things exactly the way they should have or could have, but I'm going to do it the best that I can, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to set the standard regardless of of how things may be before or after me, but I'm just going to continue to do the best that I can. Yeah. Why is that a, is, is that a personal mantra that you carry? You know, this is John and this is how I do things or, you know, is there a higher value that you're trying to ascribe to? Well, yeah, it's a part of it's the treat air by the way you want to be treated. Part of it's, you know, for me do everything is unto the Lord. You know, I, 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 my dad, you know, kind of ingrained that in me when I was young. It doesn't matter if you're mowing the lawn or washing the dishes, you are doing it for somebody else. You're doing it for your parents. You're doing it for your family. You're doing it for God. You're doing it because your name is at the end of the day, your name's all you've got, whether you die at 20 or you die at 85, right. you know, your name is, is to what you're leaving, leaving be behind. Yeah. All rubies, I believe. And, uh, so that, that to me is a big deal. And I continually harp on my boys, you know, they'll I'll say, Hey, go set the table. And they set it and there's a fork facing one direction and a knife, you know, facing another direction and the water's spilled already on the table. I'm like, Hey boys, if Jesus was coming over to our house right now, <laughs> he would not get a glass of water because it's spilled all over the table. Um, no, so that's, that's, I guess it's personal. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, and man, it, that type of, uh, that type of discipline, that type of like holding to a higher standard, I think is, it's so good, you know, and I certainly am with you on that. Um, not only in, in terms of like doing things as unto the Lord, which as a fellow believer, I would agree with, but also just because it's, it's the right way to do things. Like it's, it's the way that we should be conducting ourselves as professionals, as men and women that, you know, have pride in what we do and who we are and how we do it and all those things. I think there's a lot of that in the trades, especially with the craftsman side of it. You know, sure. we, we see our plumbers putting their, the pipes perfectly parallel and measuring. I mean, same with the electricians, you know, uh, they measure the wires so they're perfectly separated the whole way down the run and, and they all turn the angle at the exact same time and it's all very pretty and everything like that. And that's, that's a good thing. And that type of attention to detail, that type of um, pride in, in when you step back and you say, that's how it's done. That's the mentality that comes with the trades. And we need more of that. And, yeah. you know, however we can do to continue training that into the young people coming into the trades is something that we want to figure out. You know, I'll, I'll say being on this side of, of the service industry, that stuff goes noticed. Now, it might not go noticed by a lot of people, but you find that one person, you know, the, the guy I mentioned earlier, Robert, you know, he came out and provided a service. And so I'm recommending him to everybody I can all day, every day. Now, again, it may not go noticed. You know, you may, in your example, be a plumber that is messing up on 45s and, and maybe the product doesn't come out as nice. But to the one person that does recognize that, man, that's when if he compliments you or he says, yeah, man, that's the best work, I guarantee you're going to get a referral. You know, and I, I'm getting ready to go into another line of work where I'm doing construction or I'm overseeing construction. And all I've heard from the people that are, are in the 
company with me is, man, it's so hard to find quality work these days. It's so hard. But I guarantee if I find that plumber or I find that HVAC guy or I find that electrician that produces the quality that I'm looking for and he can do that on a repetitive basis and and usually the first time, man, I I tell you what, I'm going to throw work to him as much as I can and I'll pay a premium because I know that I can set it and forget it. I can tell him to do something and it's going to get done right every time. And I think, you know, the, the service industry should emulate that because we, and I put myself in, in that category as a Marine, we're just doing simple things, you know, from, from the outside. Yeah, they may be, they may look big, but it's, we're just repetitive processes. It's repetitive things, but, but that work comes out and that, that's who, that's who we are. We are, you know, in the Marine Corps, we got Marine on one side, U.S. Marines on the other, on one, and then our name on the other. You guys carry your name on your chest. That's, that's one of the things those people see when they, when you walk through the door is that name, the company name and the, and your personal name. So you're representing every time you put that uniform on, whether you're a Marine or you're a plumber, you're representing your company and your yourself. And so why not, if you, if you're not going to do it for the company, why not just do it for yourself? Whew. I like it. That's, that's <laughs> spot on, man. It's good. That's good. Uh, well, John, another thing that uh, I'm sure has been in discussion with you and your family is time away. Yeah. Right. So you have served with the squadron for five years. For this one, yeah, five years. Yeah, and I'm sure uh, that's pretty much. I don't know if you have like an on-call rotation or you serve at a, the beck and call of the president at a moment's notice, but you're probably away from home quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a significant amount. And, you know, four deployments ranging from seven to nine months, you're gone away and, and, you know, you're hoping that the uh, wheels don't fall off the cart while you're gone. But you know, those last five years, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been tough. It's been, uh, at the sacrifice of my family and, you know, um, you, when you are gone, you recognize the value of time and you recognize when you get home that you are in makeup, you know, you're in the, you're in the makeup time and then you are also in the actual time, right? So how do you make those, those minutes count for more, you know? And I like to, I like, when I get home, I like to put my phone up on the counter and kind of just leave it up there, turn it off, turn it, put it on silent. Can we cut this part out so our wives don't hear that? It's <laughs> a problem when we get home. But it's hard. It's hard when you come home from being gone for a week on duty, you know, and, and something's happening and, and you want to be on your phone, but you're like, man, I just, I've been away from my family for a full week. They have suffered and they've, you know, I've neglected them. Not, you know, not intentionally, but I need to, I need to be present. You know, and that was one of the best things my wife told me when I was getting ready to go apply to be on the, in the squadron. You know, I said, hey, you know, babe, this is going to take time and I'm going to be away from the family and I'm going to be gone a lot over the next four years. I don't know if this is the right thing to do. And she said two things. She said, if you don't do this, if you don't apply, you'll never know if you were good enough. And you regret that the rest of your life. And then the second thing she said, you can be gone. That's fine. We'll never be upset about that. But when you're home, be present. Mm. And, 
And so we made that verbal contract that I was going to try. And if I got in, she was going to support me. And if I'm gone, I'm going to make up the time by being present as soon as I got home. And that's like, that takes work. You know, when your kids are like, dad, welcome home. And they give you the hug. It's great. And it's awesome. But then they're like, hey, come up and let me tell you about this toy for the 14th time. Or let me show you this picture that I drew. And you're like, man, that's really not that good. (laughs) But but you have to be intentional. You have to treat them like their lives are the only thing that matter right then. And uh, it's, it, it takes takes time it takes effort to do that it doesn't come natural you know especially for for me i like to be doing you know i'm thinking about man i haven't mowed the lawn in a week or i haven't done these lists of things to do and man i need to get to that bathroom because it's leaking or i need to call so and so because i've got these problems but uh, you kind of got to put that aside and realize that their time matters too yeah so i commend you for taking that uh, approach to your family Um, I don't know that we have anybody who deploys, as you would say, you know, for months or even a week at a time, but we do have very long hours, uh, early mornings to late at nights, weekends, holidays, et cetera. The service industry never sleeps. And so we do in the service industry, we do pay the price. Our family pays the price for simply the industry. Uh, So what were some practical ways or decisions? I mean, you mentioned like you, you put the phone away. Were there other things that you put into place um, to help with that makeup time uh, when you're back with your family? You know, did you, did you schedule time time together, like intentionally? Did you, I don't know, date your wife or date your kids or whatever it was? Yeah, we, you know, from a very early uh, time in my wife and I's marriage, we realized that we were going to miss a lot of significant dates, a lot of significant dates on the calendar. I missed, you know, ironically, the four times I was deployed, I, I was deployed over Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. All four times. All four times. Ugh. It just it just fell in that way. And yeah, it's hard to recreate Christmas when you come home in March, but when you miss a, a birthday because you're gone over a weekend or you miss, you know, a, an anniversary or something, just making up for it on the backside and being intentional again about it. Um, and it's hard to do cause you're like, man, our anniversary was last week and I was gone and she didn't care and I didn't care. And, but taking that little bit of time to say, Hey, this milestone was met and we need to uh, appreciate that. Um, that, that goes a long way and it's hard. It's really hard to do. Um, and, and I won't lie to you and say that I've done it every time I've definitely come back and think, man, you know, I didn't get my wife anything for her birthday and it was two months ago and, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to do it now because what's the use. Right. Um, but I, I've also recognized that um, things, you know, the relationship suffers a little bit when that occurs too. When when a relationship or parenting goes on autopilot and, and you're not intentional, you can wake up with some time loss and it, it may not matter right then but it will eventually matter. So how, how do you kick yourself out of that? Because I'm imagining some of our listeners right now, are perhaps in that place where they have been kind of on autopilot for a little bit and they've sort of uh, allowed some of those negative uh, mentalities to slip in like, Oh, well, you know, it was two months ago. What does it really matter? Eh, I mean, he'll have another birthday next year. 
ah, whatever, 14 is not really that special of a year anyways, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah. How, how do you kick yourself out of that and say like, well, hang on a second, this stuff actually does matter. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, my wife and I call that the crazy cycle. And that was off of a, a series we did as a young married couple called Love and Respect. Uh, um, yes. Egret Emerson. Yep. Yeah. But the crazy cycle is kind of this thing where it's just going to continue and it's going to continue in this cycle until you break yourself out of that cycle. And I heard a, a joke or a story a long time ago, and it was about a, a guy and a girl, they were older and uh, they're driving in their truck, old bench seat. And uh, the, you know, the, the older gentleman's driving and the older woman's sitting in the passenger seat looking out side the window and she says she leans over to him she goes you know things used to be so much nicer back in the day when we used to sit together and just drive through the countryside and he said well i've never changed my position <laughs> you know and so it makes you think like well things don't happen overnight they are gradual very slowly but usually when you recognize them it's going to take a significant amount of work to get back to where you used to be. So if you can catch it early on, if you can catch those negative things, right, before they transpire into a lot, it's a lot easier to correct. What is that saying? The, the weight of bad habits is rarely felt until it's too heavy to bear? Yes. That, that sounds seem believe not too long ago. Yeah. That sounds right. way smarter than what came out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm fearful of the gradual, fearful of, of change that happens very slowly without you recognizing it because it can be anything from the way you treat your wife and your kids to your weight, to your habits, to anything, drinking. Uh, it starts small and it grows and grows and grows. And, and, and I come from a family that's very dysfunctional. I mean, I, parents were divorced when I was little. Um, you know, family members to include my mom who committed suicide. So I've got, there's like some skeletons right in the closet. And I know those things can sneak up if you're not careful and you're not intentional. So it's just kind of routine maintenance. I think that probably resonates with you guys probably really well. Absolutely. Routine maintenance is not fun, but it's way cheaper than a complete overhaul. Mm. When the time comes, we need to do an episode on that, Brian, the preventative maintenance of your life and career. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. That reminds me of that C.S. Lewis quote. <laughs> I'm just pulling them all out today. He said, uh, you can never go back and change the beginning, but you can start now and change the end. Wow. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Not the uh, preventative maintenance part, but what he was you guys are way more philosophical than I expected. <laughs> Well, we just, we're not, we just write down a lot of quotes. Is that, that what you're Googling, Googling over there? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Google smart quotes. Yeah. Smart. Nobody ever knows the pauses that we take during this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we, we pause for 15 minutes and you guys will never hear it. <laughs> oh, John, this has all been excellent stuff. And you have served an illustrious mm -hmm. career of two decades. I'm sure over that time, uh, you've come across some pretty good stories uh, about, you know, things going right or things going wrong. If you'd be kind enough to jump into it and, you know, share some of the things that you've learned across your career that have been impactful for you. And let's not forget SkillBridge. 
Oh man. Um, you know, I think things that have gone well, um, you know, when I did my retirement ceremony last week, I had friends show up that I had known since I was three years old and friends that I'd made this last year and looking out at them and looking out at my wife and my boys who were like listening for the 30 minutes. I think they've never sat more still than during that retirement ceremony. I thought, man, I am, I think this is successful. This is a success. And, and people ask me like, what is, what does success look like for you when this is all done? And I say a wife and kids that still love me mm. when I'm old, you know, when I'm 80 years old, right. Kids that show up to my house and love me and, and a wife that has never left, you know, and that's, that's what success means. And, and, you know, we, as service members, we get medals and awards for different personal victories and unit victories. Um, and those are definitely badges of honor, rank and time and service is definitely, you know, something to be proud of. Um, cause it, it does take significant time, you know, 20 years of serving, um, or 40 years of serving, you know, it's all, um, it's all, you know, based on the person, it, 20 years, there's no more, more of a service than four. You know, it's, it's the willingness of somebody to, to actually do something for their country and, and, and to do something for their name and their company. So, you know, success for me is, man, just having a wife and, uh, and kids that I can still go home to and they still appreciate me for coming home. Um, but I've definitely been full of, you know, heartache and messing up. And I've definitely let my kids down, you know, when, when I've had to call them and say, Hey, dad's not coming home tonight. Or, you know, I'm going to, you know, stay the trip got extended or to my wife that, Hey, this thing came up or, or, Hey, you know, maybe I just messed up and I did forget your birthday when I was here. And, you know, so you just want your successes to outweigh you know, the, the heartache. Um, but for me, success is really, I, I, you know, I tell people success for me is being faithful as a Christian, having my wife who still loves me and kids that have said that my time meant something. If I'm doing all three of those things, everything else will fall into order. It's like what we talked about earlier, the, the basics, being brilliant in the basics, being, being good at the simple things, if you can do that and you take pride in who you are, you'll probably take pride in your name, your wife, your kids, your faith. Was there a time in your career where, you know, something happened that you can look back upon and you say like that changed me, that changed the direction of my life or that changed the direction of how I conduct myself or, you know, was there, was there a story or an event that occurred that really resounded with you and you, you know, maybe you hearken back to in even today's decision-making? Man, I got, I could be here for another two hours telling you stories, <laughs> but I'll tell you one that I, that I relayed at my retirement ceremony. Luckily I was fortunate to have the same guy that, that pinned my wings on me, which is a significant day in, in a pilot's career. He pinned my wings on me in 2005 and he, and he, uh, did my retirement ceremony last oh, week. Wow. So nice. Huge guy, huge pillar in my life. Um, but he, he actually did something early in my flight training. I was really struggling with a system. It was a GPS system in this aircraft and functionality and pushing buttons. And it just, again, I'm a, 
kind of a dumb, dumb Marine wasn't getting it. And, um, he actually took the time out of his day. He was, he could have gone home. He could have spent time with his wife and kids. He said, Hey, let's go sit in an aircraft at night. It's raining. We spun up the aircraft to give it power. And he sat there and taught me the functionality of this system. Like, like I was the only pilot that mattered. And you got to remember the pilot training is like this big train that just keeps going. And if you fall off, it's going to just keep going and it's going to pass you by. And it's, it's meant for attrition. You know, they know that there's people that aren't going to get it and, and they'll just move on and do something else. But he took the time to say, Hey, look, John, this stuff matters and I'm willing to teach you. I'm willing to take time out of my day to show you how to get it done. Man, that was such an impact for me at that time where I knew like my rest of my career could, could be reduced to not being a pilot, not flying. And, and I wouldn't be here where I am today and I'd have to go do something else. But he sat there and, and provided that time when other instructors necessarily wouldn't. And I've got several guys, I call them my five pillars. I've got five guys and specifically in my life that certain times of my life sat down and said, this is what matters right now. Let's make sure you're doing it. One was my pastor from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Two or three of them were guys that I worked with in and out of, uh, before I went to join the Marine Corps. Um, just un- unique people that men that, that, uh, stepped out of their role as fathers and husbands took me under their wing and said, look, this stuff matters. And so that's really affected me as a mentor and a dad and, and, and looking for other people that I can kind of help and assist. So, I mean, I, I look at them and I, I owe, um, a lot of respect to them and I, I don't, I'm not on any social media except for LinkedIn, but I made a post specifically just for those guys to say, look, I respect you and, and honor you. And my success is based on, on you. Mm, that is excellent. Um, and, and certainly an encouragement for all of us to not only be seeking out those mentors, but to be conducting ourselves in such a way that we can be that to somebody else. Right. And that's something that uh, I suppose you're looking to do now as you begin your transition from military career into civilian life. And for that, you're stepping into something called the skill bridge uh, which we hit at the top of the show, but jumping into the, into that concept again here. So first of all, why the decision to get out now? I mean, 20, 20 years is no small feat, but sure. you know, was there something that kind of made that direction for you and why choose the Skillbridge path? Yeah. So the 20 year mark is, is significant. Uh, the, the system has changed a little bit since uh, I joined, but when I joined, you got a benefit, right? For, for serving at 20 years or more. Now, for the, the betterment of the program, now service members are, are shown their appreciation through monetized, um, you know, retirement now based on how much, however much time they do, whether it's four years or 20. Um, but at the time I joined 20 years, if you went for 20 years in a day, you got, uh, you know, compensation. Unfortunately, for those that got out before 20, they, they didn't have anything to show for it. Okay. So, so that's why the 20-year mark and really, you know, leaving this squadron, serving the role that I w- was fortunate to be in was just kind of like, for me, winning the Super Bowl. It was going out on top. The next gig may not have been as um, 
enjoyable or it may not have been um, the the type of you know follow on job that I wanted specifically or it would have required another move for me and my family. So it just lined up perfectly that this was the time my kids are young. I'm able to get out, start something new and uh, still young enough to where I can learn something and still still give some time to that career. So the Skillbridge program came along and, and my commanding officer and my, and my chain of command was fortunate enough to say, yes, hey, we appreciate your time and service. Go do this thing. You know, so through a lot of deliberating and, and figuring out what I think I'm good at or what I want to be good at later on, um, I chose this path to, to partner with a local company here in, in Pennsylvania and, and they are doing construction and development. And I just thought, man, what better way to start a new career than partnering with people that are, are doing this on a day-to-day basis, you know, and a lot of, a lot of learning, right. Is falling on your face and making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. But if you can cut out that time of reinventing the wheel, if you can, if you can keep from making mistakes that people have made before and partner with somebody that knows what they're doing and can teach you well, man, that just accelerates your, your learning curve. The mentorship as we talk about here. Yeah. Often it's a fast forward button. It is absolutely. It saves you years and money and heartache and all these things. And so why not partner with somebody that can fast track you? Um, and so that really is what this, what this second, gig is about and, and Skillbridge is allowing me to do that is partner with a, a company that has similar values and similar, um, you know, beliefs and, and wants to perform on a level that's exceptional and, and perform, uh, better than anyone else is doing things in their industry. And, uh, I, I really just encourage anybody getting out of the service or any, um, you know, owners, company owners that have gaps that they would love to be filled by service members, man, look into the Skillbridge skill bridge program and, and take advantage of it because there are service members out there that are highly trained, highly capable, highly um, diligent to do the job that they are given, and they just need a chance. How much, do, and, and I'm thinking about the, the veterans we have here who are by and large just awesome employees amazing members of this team um one of them you got to meet on the way in here yeah. gave you a bunch of crap for being a marine of course john, john Russell. <laughs> he hit his crowns very quickly <laughs> um how much do you know about the process from like a company standpoint like you know a business like ours how how does one go about that and what is the process and any idea what that looks like are you talking about the skill bridge yeah, how, getting involved in that, I, I, I know you you understand it keenly from from a, a service member's um, perspective, but any idea how a company goes about it? Yeah, I mean, the SkillBridge website itself, uh, um, if you Google SkillBridge, it will come up with a DOD website, and it will, it will give you links to uh, see companies that are available to, to partner with. Um, it will also show a business owner, how to get their company registered with Department of Defense and become a, a end user of service members who are, are willing to take that track. Um, I would have to dig into it a little bit more, but I know on the service member side, it's very simple process. As long as you've got a commander 
or a chain of command that's willing to let you go and, and let you do that from anywhere from a couple of weeks to six months, you know, all you've got to do is the, the homework of figuring out the company and where it is and, and what their, you know, the service is going to provide, um, and the training that you're going to be given. And then it's a couple applications and, and you're off, off and running. And, um, it really is a unique opportunity because you have up to six months where you're still being paid to learn your next, you're still being paid by the service Marine Corps, army, Navy, air force to be on their roles, but you're learning a new, um, a new job that's going to potentially take you outside the, you know, the service and, and you can be very successful at it by learning everything you need to learn in that time. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I, it's a simple process, but, uh, but it does take a little bit of work. Yeah. I was just checking out the website here. Um, and I, I'm guessing it pretty much covers a fair amount of civilian industries, including the trades, uh, which is awesome. Um, that might be something that, uh, people who are listening out there might want to check out as far as enrolling and becoming a provider or uh, place to land, if you will, yeah. uh, for people coming out. And it looks like you can, uh, it is only for people who are basically ending their military career. Yeah, exactly. You can't, uh, you can't take a pause at year five, go do a skill bridge and then come back in after skill bridge is over and continue as, uh, as a uniform service member. You, you have to be at the point where you say, yes, I'm, I'm done fulfilling my obligation to, um, the uniform services and I'm really, I'm, I'm ready to transition whether that's after four years or, or 20 years. So it says within 180 days of release from active duty. Sure. Meaning you yep. have what, six months left, six months. Okay. Yep. yep. You, so again, you, you know, your um, the, the branch that you are coming out of and the unit you're coming out of doesn't get backfilled while you're gone. So that's a, you know, that's a chunk that they have to bite off on. Um, and that's where that approval is sometimes can be hard to get. Um, but if you're granted that, that ability to go do skill bridge, it's, it's invaluable. Yeah, that would be because in, you know, imagine in our, in our industry, what we could take, teach someone in six months of full-time internship and the skill that someone could have, um, or at least the, you know, the tip of, of the skill coming out. And, and, you know, ready to uh, be discharged. Right. And, and at uh, little to no cost to the company, other than the time it takes to train. But I mean, the payroll is handled by the military. So yep. what a phenomenal opportunity. And of course, we would love, as Brian mentioned, we'd love to have more uh, former members of the military join uh, the service industry because there's so many relatable factors, including the uniform, the precision, the detail orientedness, the ability to serve with a humble attitude, et cetera, et cetera. Tons of parallels. Right. They go on and on. And, uh, what a, what a unique opportunity. And we're so happy that something like that exists. Yeah. Well, John, as we uh, begin bringing things in for a landing here, it's, it's been so good to hear from you. And one of the things that, um, that kind of struck me here at the beginning of the show was you said that you attempted to pass your, the, the pilot pretest. <laughs> Uh, took you three times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in our industry, you know, we have multiple certifications as well. And even in, in different States, there's, you know, higher and lower levels of what that requires. 
across the entire nation, of course, I believe there's a universal application for a journeyman's license and then a master's license, et cetera, et cetera. And so somewhere along the line, if somebody is looking to move up the ranks in terms of their ability and their, uh, their hierarchy in the trades and their skill set and all that, there will be testing, there will be uh, discipline, there will be um, a requirement of knowledge and benchmarks that are going to occur. So when you hearken back to you know, all that time ago and, and you, you failed that first exam, what was your mental state after you got that? I don't know if it was a paper that you got back or something, a letter in the mail that said no. Uh, you know, why didn't you give up at that point? Oh, wow. Uh, you know, I, I've learned since then um, that anything that uh, you try for that's really worth its weight is probably something that's going to stretch you out of your box, stretch you out of your uh, comfort zone. And, you know, it was a gut check because I, you know, my dad was a pilot. He started crop dusting when he was 14 years old. I've got an uncle that flew 20 years in the Air Force. Wait, he was flying the plane at 14? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, you think small town Texas, Panhandle of Texas, but yeah, crop dusting at 14. Didn't have his driver's license, though. Couldn't huh? drive. It's a whole lot <laughs> different crop dusting than my 14-year-old does, let me tell you. <laughs> um, so I came, from, I came from aviation, and, you know, you walk in, you take this test, and it takes 30 minutes to take and five minutes for the guy to grade it and hand you back this score sheet, and it says failed. You know, it's like, man. But it goes back to, again, like that conversation I had with my dad where he was like, yeah, you'll never make it. Something inside you went, something inside me, when I can't pass it the first time, it, it just something swells up and is like, well, I'm better than that. I'm going to be able to do it, you know, and, and tried again, failed again. You know, you think, dang, maybe this isn't the right fit for me. Maybe this isn't right. But, but again, you try, try again. And, you know, at some point, yeah, it may not be the right fit. Uh, but sometimes, stretching yourself just a little bit more, going to study a little bit harder, trying to figure out what didn't work last time can result in, in this. And I'm living proof. I mean, I, 20 years ago, I, I couldn't pass a freaking flying paper test. And now I look back and it was, it was the best 20 years of my life um, so far. So, um, man, I just encourage people not to give up, not to give up on themselves people around them because sometimes just that little extra effort that little you know a little bit more studying a little bit one more attempt at doing something may be the difference maker and it's, it's the pursuit of excellence too right sure. a, a determination for what you wanted sure you know there's a great book out there written by uh, malcolm gladwell it's called the tipping point and he talks about all the successful people you know the the Bill Gates and the Steve Jobs and the Beatles and all these people that made it. And it wasn't that they just were instantly good. It was that they had to work. And he says 10,000 hours is what makes you good. But man, I think for me, it was just the fourth try of a, you know, the third try of a test. For some people, it's just the extra hour or two of studying or the extra, you know, bit of, simulator time that you put in that just makes the difference. Absolutely. And I mean, we're, we're investing in virtual reality training and things like that for our technicians that is making that even more easy and accessible for them to do, 
to literally have a simulator. Like we have a simulator now. That's awesome. Um, that that you can do that without having a piece of equipment in front of you, where you can scenarioize all kinds of troubleshooting and whatnot that you can get yourself into. And and yet you have to want it. You have to pursue it. It. it I mean, we did an episode just the other week, Brian, which said, you know, the ladder's there, but you still have to climb it. Right. It's not just gonna. It's not an escalator. You don't just get on and get a free ride to the top. You have to do the climbing. Yeah. And the trades has a great ability to push you to another level and to take you as far as you want to go. But it ultimately resides with you. Yeah. And I'm sure you found that to be true in the military and in, in your service as well. Absolutely. Goes right back to your name. Well, John, uh, it has been an absolute privilege to have you on the podcast today. Uh, it's been been incredible to hear from you and all the stories, the experience that you have. Uh, we are appreciative of your service to our country, and we're looking forward to having you in the civilian world, bringing Yay. all the talents and everything <laughs> that you have, uh, especially in the local areas you're you're working in around the Lancaster area where we are in Pennsylvania as well. So thank you so much for your service and for being on the podcast with us today. Yeah, we'd love to have you back on, you know, not too far away when, when you've gotten some of this uh, experience behind you and, yeah. and hear a, uh, let's just revisit and see how everything went. Absolutely. Yeah, if the to. commercial reality really place doesn't work out for you now, I, I got a, I got an industry. Just saying. <laughs> Three. <laughs> Three. <Yeah. laughs> well, I thought he was trying to replace me as podcast host. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, John. Yeah, you're welcome, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. It was great to meet you. Yeah, appreciate it. Hey, that's a wrap for our podcast today. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode with John. It's been fantastic to hear from him and everything that he's brought to the table. So many really good resonating points uh, of parallelism that go from what he's been doing in the military to what we do in the service industry. And I hope that you go back and listen to this one over and over again and pick up on a lot of that stuff. Certainly, we want to end with the highlight there where he's saying, push yourself into um, the, un the, the discomfort zone, you know, go find something that is tough. Anything that is worth fighting for is going to require a little bit of pain and suffering, a little bit of energy, time and commitment to push into. And we hope that's true in your career. And if it's not, it's time to make it so. As we leave you every week, we want to be challenging you. And hopefully this episode did that. There is so much more to be had and there's so much more potential that you have inside of you. And all starts by you choosing to wake up each day and waste no day. <laughs>